0: Welcome to the Lean Health Tech Podcast, where industry professionals discuss trends and topics where efficiency, healthcare, and technology meet. My name is Taryn Shipley, and I'm your host. Our guest speaker today is Dr. John Lee, a practicing emergency medicine physician and founder of HIT Peak Advisors. His background includes HIMSS Physician Committee Chair, Board Member of the Medical Intelligence Society, and he's on the ARCH Collaborative Executive Survey Advisory Committee. He has numerous EPIC certifications and is skilled and well-known to be prolific in EPIC configuration. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Lee. Today's topic is Cosmos, EPIC's research data platform and the data literacy gap. EPIC has the largest market share in the world for electronic health record software. They're known for their interoperability, embedded analytic tools, scalability, customizability, and more. Cosmos is EPIC's database of de-identified patient EHR data for clinical research. Dr. Lee, can you tell us more about what Cosmos is, including use case and features?
1: Well, so Cosmos is a very sizable de-identified database that's designed to help Epic organizations or users at Epic organizations dig into data and find insights that maybe confirm some of the things that we already know, or maybe come up with new things, or put um, more specifics on on insights that they. Or hunches that a an end user or an organization may uh, may already have, and I'm glad you mentioned the the point about Epic is known for their interoperability, embedded data analytics tools, scalability, and customizability because that really is what enables Cosmos. Uh, because so many Epic organizations, so many organizations are on Epic, and because they are on Epic, they have very similar data platforms. And Epic already has a very robust interoperability platform called Care Everywhere. They leverage that to make all sorts of data available across institutional boundaries so that you you as an end user can actually maybe see a trend in your local emergency department and say, I wonder what. The trend is uh, throughout the entire EPIC organization. Or alternatively, if you are, say, I think this is going to be one of the, the most useful features of Cosmos, is that if you have a small number of patients who have rare diseases, it will help facilitate, collaborate many organizations and be able to take care of these small number of patients who might previously have difficulty managing but all of a sudden, now you have kind of an instant community where you can share ideas and collaborate.
0: How would people know if they have access to Cosmos or how can folks get access to Cosmos?
1: Cosmos is only available to Epic organizations. And you have to be a provider in an organization in an Epic organization. And that Epic organization has to have access to Cosmos. If you're at an Epic organization, but the Epic organization does not have access to Cosmos, you don't have access to Cosmos. And then even if you are within an organization that does subscribe to Cosmos, they limit the number of licenses. And I think that's primarily so that they can monitor and make sure that people are using the tool really well. Because still, as robust as it already is, it's still in its infancy. And I think they want to make sure that people do use it well. And it doesn't end up being kind of a wild west situation where people come up with insights that don't make any sense.
0: I know of multiple organizations that have Epic, but they don't have Cosmos. So why would some organizations be hesitant towards adopting that as a tool?
1: Honestly, I don't know. It's befuddling to me that if you're an epic organization that you don't subscribe to cosmos there are some i think maybe some valid but not particularly accurate concerns uh, first i think first and fo- foremost is that if you think about all the different data points that we have in our electronic healthcare systems it may be kind of daunting and may you may presume that If you have to map all of your data points to a common normalized data set, that that might be really, really difficult. But I think Epic has done a really good job at shouldering a lot of that that load. And my understanding is that the adoption and the implementation lift is really not that substantial. I also, I think there's probably maybe some concern about ownership of the data But again, I think that it's a bit of fallacy in that you're not necessarily giving your data to Epic to use as Epic wants. There is a very robust uh, set of rules of the road and charter that makes sure that the data that is contributed by an organization who contributes to Cosmos is used in an appropriate manner. So as an example, a, a pharmaceutical organization can't just come in and buy into cosmos you have to be an epic organization to uh, have access to cosmos and on top of that i have heard of some some whispers that pharma may do something like essentially fund a position at an epic organization and have that position be basically beholden to a pharma company so that that person then can funnel Cosmos insights to that pharma company. That is not allowed. It really is a very egalitarian, maybe a word, ethical, I I guess would be another word. They've set it up in such a way that the tool really is unlikely to be used for nefarious purposes.
0: How old is Cosmos? I feel like it's still in its infancy as a tool and its adoption rate.
1: My recollection, I, I started hearing about Cosmos, I think back in like 2000, maybe 14 or 15. Back then it was called, I forgot what they called it, uh, but they did call it something else. And if, you, if you're familiar with the Epic community, Epic is well known to change names and come up with cutesy names for, for their, uh, their various platforms and applications. But I think that for many years, This platform was really kind of an aspirational dream by Judy Faulkner, the founder and CEO of Epic. But then it started getting momentum by dribs and drabs. But then all of a sudden, there was this exponential increase in in membership and by the same token utility. Because this is, you know, if you think about the concept of the tool, its value is very much exponentially related to the network effect. The more people, people and organizations participate in Cosmos, the the more valuable the tool is, not, not just in a linear fashion, but but just exponentially. I think that I first got a, a direct access to Cosmos maybe about two or three years ago. And since then, uh, my estimation is that it has just dramatically increased in both utility and notoriety and uh, uh, how people are using it.
0: So you've been familiar with and using Cosmos for quite a while. What do you expect or hope to see in the next five years regarding the use of Cosmos?
1: Well, I I think it's a Testament that you say that quote unquote, quite a while is like two or three years, because that is also a Testament to what you had mentioned that it's, that it's still in its infancy uh, that I'm maybe one of the uh, people who have used Cosmos the longest, but I do think that as people start understanding how to use it as more people get trained in how to use it, it will dramatically increase in in utility. And my, my hope is that it uh, democratizes knowledge discovery so that you don't necessarily have to think about the, you don't have to necessarily wait for some sort of formal study to know if a hunch or trend that you've seen is actually significant or not, or that uh, you may have read a study and you may say, well, that the the finding seems kind of odd. Does the data bear this out? And I'm going to go take a look at it within Cosmos. You can actually do that sort of stuff. And and I've actually changed some of my practices as a result of of that sort of exploration. And I think that's what the true potential of Cosmos is, is that it's a way to democratize that so that, If you're a frontline provider, you don't have to be in an academic organization. You don't have to publish a paper to come up with some pretty significant insights that will help you manage and make decisions as you take care of patients on the frontline.
0: And I love how easy the graphical user interface is for end users. Even if you're not incredibly analytical or data savvy, it summarizes the data very beautifully and is pretty easy to learn as a tool. Would you agree?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, the flip side to that, though, is that there is a another way to access the data. And actually, you have access to uh, substantially more data features and more flexibility in manipulating them through what they call the data science program. So that it's not just a the slicer dicer user interface that you, you mentioned, um, but that you can actually in a very granular, detailed manner. Take a look at the data points and then actually manipulate them using s- tools like SQL, R, or Python.
0: How granular does the data get? I know it's de-identified. Can you get down to, let's say, county, zip code, city?
1: Yeah. So the granularity, I think, on the Slicer Dicer platform, I think goes down to z- uh, zip code uh, in terms of a location. I don't think it goes down that uh, to that detail in the data science platform. And the purpose, the reason for that is Epic has made some very deliberate attempts to make sure that the data stays de-identified because they don't want the rare, the one person who has a rare disease to be identified via the platform and something happen that's negative to that, that person uh, as a result of that.
0: So since we're talking about clinical research analytics tools We have to address the major gap in data literacy for healthcare organizations. How can healthcare orgs gauge their level of data literacy?
1: That's a very difficult and great question, because I think that's a a substantial problem in almost every healthcare organization that I know of. And as I was thinking about this, one of the things that I would think might be a really good gauge is how often operational folks or clinical frontline requesters of data, how often do they request edits or tweaks to current data tools so that they could better do self-service analytics as opposed to sort of the stereotypic, I need a report based on this and send it to me as a PDF as an email attachment. Because I think most of us who've lived in that world know that once a request like the latter comes into play, then more often than not, once they get the report, if they actually even look at the report, there's three or four questions that then spawn off that, that then they have to do yet another data request on. So instead, what I would love to be able to see, and I actually talked about this with one of my other analytics colleagues at another facility, is... That I would love to see a, the majority of data requests coming from operational and clinical folks actually be a request of a new column, for instance, in a in an already existing platform, set, for, for instance, slicer dicer or or Tableau. Maybe an extension of that is that I want to be able to use the columns in such and such a way give me the ability to do that myself. That is where I think you can make a lot more, much more substantial improvements in in your operations with that level, as you get to that uh, level of data literacy.
0: Those are great points that literacy is reflected in the type of requests, the wording of requests. I exactly. completely agree. It is very frustrating when you get a request for, and then they attach a PDF of a CMS measure or something, and it's 26 pages long. Yeah.
1: And then what are you going to do with that? You know, Mm -hmm. ultimately, you want to put that pretty substantial amount of effort into creating an analytic tool that actually helps people make decisions. And so many of the requests that people ask for often are what I call nice to know sort of things that you you mentioned CMS, that we may already know that we have a certain compliance, certain level of compliance with some CMS metric. And, And certainly we have come up with visualization and analytics that allow us to submit to uh, agencies like CMS or other regulatory or specialty society accreditations. But wouldn't it be great if you, at the same time that you come up with that sort of request, that you realize that, hey, these are some of the data points that will help us do better in that sort of that metric? Or what are the metric? What are the data points that will help us improve on that metric, and then use that then as a seed to grow more analytic tools and increase your data literacy so that you understand, oh, that's that's why such and such issue is occurring so frequently, and that's why it's been so difficult to, to fix. Now we have the data tools to systematically approach a problematic problem and break it down into component pieces and we can start solving it uh, bit by bit, piece by piece.
0: It seems like you're referring to some sort of variation of a root cause analysis or a five wise saying, here's our overall metric. What are kind of the submetrics underneath that really allow us to dig in more?
1: Right, and on top of that, to be able to say, then let's say you do a five wise, and then let's say one, there's one particular metric that you come up with and you realize, well, that was not the metric to to measure. That in and of itself, that discovery is, uh, I think, very much worthwhile. Just because you didn't necessarily hit it, hit the nail on the head and get it correct right away, it helps you learn and helps you deconstruct the issue and figure out what actually will work. Healthcare organizations are replete with examples of, I'll, I'll substitute a word here. Uh, I did a presentation at one of my previous organizations where I put a, a, up a slide and that throw blank, throw stuff at a wall. And I think a lot of organizations do that. They just say, okay, we're, we have slow throughput. These are all of our postulates. Uh, let's just address all of them all at the same time and see what happens. And, and then you get some sort of result at the other end, and there may be any number of confounders in between, but you don't do any sort of analysis on that. You just say, okay, well, we did... Intervention A, now we have uh, output X. Output X is better than what we had before. Let's just do intervention A a lot more and a lot faster. And that's where where I think a lot of healthcare organizations tend to spin their wheels. And I think actually probably most healthcare organizations in this country spin their wheels because that is sort of the de facto way that a lot of um, organizations approach things.
0: So we've talked about things on... A smaller scale? Like, how do you understand your data literacy? How do you improve your data literacy? Let's amplify that. How will increased data literacy improve healthcare organizations and our whole healthcare system in the US?
1: I think it's what we just talked about in that we know that we have problems, uh, but we don't necessarily know what those problems are. And we need to do to uh, actually uh, address those problems. So, d- as a simple example, I, as I talk to a lot of my physician colleagues and people talk and, and say make mention of the concept of say population health, and many in the healthcare policy uh, space understand that fee for service is a cancer upon our, our current healthcare system. But how do you break it down and turn it into something? that is easily consumable by people who actually have to make this monumental change in how we deliver care. And and it comes down to breaking things down into understandable bits of information and data and knowledge so that people start nodding their heads and understand that Hey, we need to this is what we need to do to fix things. A, a perfect example, I think at a macro scale is our issue with errors. If you look at the error literature, medical error literature, and actually if you talk to frontline providers, it is pretty evident that we're we're actually not collecting most errors. We don't know what the vast majority of errors that actually occur in in the healthcare system. And there's there are excellent opportunities that if we were able to collect some of these things, that that we could actually proactively address some of the issues that occur in, in the healthcare. So as an example, are you familiar with the Verdanda or Deronda Vaught, the nurse at Vanderbilt? Yes. So she, there were two vials. One was Vecuronium, one was Versed. And both of them were, because they started with a V, I assume, they were put together in the medication drawer. So she gave, she was supposed to give Verset, that puts a patient to sleep. I think it was for an MRI or some sort of procedure. Instead, she gave Vecuronium, which is a paralytic and basically stopped that patient from breathing. And that patient died. Number one, the downstream effect of that was that she ended up losing her nursing license and she was actually criminally prosecuted for this, which is a horrific impediment to discouragement to any nurse who wants to actually report these events because she's actually self-reported that because that was what she was told to do. And instead, now she's told, instead she was prosecuted and she lost her career. What do you think that that's going to have? What sort of effect do you think that's going to have on nurses who actually want to report errors? The other piece of this, big piece of that is I can guarantee you that that sort of error was a near miss and occurred multiple other times, maybe not necessarily with Versed or Vecuronium, but other similar circumstances. But those sorts of near misses were not reported by the frontline clinicians. They just kind of shrugged it off and said, oh, phew, that was close. I'm just going to keep going on with my day. We need to start collecting those sorts of data because that patient, their life could have been, their death could have been prevented if we had had better reporting systems in place. That nurse's career could have been saved if we had had that sort of data available before something like that happened.
0: That connects perfectly back to Cosmos, the widely available data set that contains data not only from your organization, but all over the, the country, all over the world, really.
1: If you talk to frontline clinicians, they will often have a, and, and I'll have conversations with, with colleagues about this, where we'll start talking or thinking about some sort of clinical situation, and we'll say, I wonder, dot, dot, dot. And right now, there's no output for that. Or the output or the, the release valve for that is to do some sort of exhausted IRB, create some, you know, do some sort of go through the publication gauntlet. And most docs, they just want to uh, get going and take care of patients. Imagine then if you had an outlet and say, hey, you know, I'm going to scribble that down. I'm going to go home and I'm going to go into Cosmos and I'm going to dig into that, the data. And I can tell you it's, it's not that difficult. There are some things that are not easy to do, but the things that that are accessible within Cosmos, it really is pretty easy to to find out. Uh, I think there was a um, Pfizer or uh, some other pharmaceutical, they put out this advertising recently, and they said, these are the top three comorbidities, I think, of COVID patients. I suspect that the advertising was directed towards trying to get people to prescribe Paxlovid. But I, I saw that advertising and I thought, I wonder how many man hours it took for them to figure this out, how many resources and how much it cost them to actually come up with these insights. And on top of that, how much of that effort is now polluted with bias because they wanted to push a particular medication. I actually then ended up matching that same sort of query in Cosmos in probably about half an hour, just because I was curious. And it's, It's that sort of thing that I think Cosmos can unlock, that democratization of, hey, I wonder something, I'm going to go into Cosmos and try to figure out if that last paper that I saw was valid, or my colleague told me to do this, is that a valid way to do things? Or we've been doing this in this way for so long, is there any science behind that?
0: Absolutely. Do you have any last words of wisdom or advice you'd like to share with listeners?
1: I really do think that we can fix healthcare in the United States. Certainly needs to be fixed, but the core of what we need to do is, is based on data analytics and the insights that we can glean from better data analytics. And and to our conversation previously, data literacy—the people who make these sorts of decisions, not the data and analytics and the IT folks, but the uh, frontline operational people—they have to understand. The power of what data can do and how it can truly transform what we do in healthcare and stamp out the things that we do in healthcare that are so poor and try to accentuate the things that we actually do really, really well.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your insight around cosmos and data literacy. This concludes today's Lean Health Tech podcast. If you're a listener and would like to hear a certain topic covered in future episodes, please let me know by leaving a review or comment. Thanks for joining and be sure to check out the next episode.